0: Welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. You have discovered this podcast episode, and it is a book recommendation episode. These are our sub-30-minute episodes where we try and recommend a book to you. We will not be spoiling it in great detail. We'll just be discussing it lightly and trying to talk about why it's worth reading, since we'll be covering it for the next two weeks on the podcast feed. And that book is Pachinko. It is a novel by Min Jin Lee. So if you've ever been curious about it, there was an Apple show recently, right? It's pretty recent, (laughs) this year, Um, recent-ish And I read the other day that it it has some massive book departures I think in some interesting, bold ways But, um, for example, it's not chronological, the show
1: Oh, interesting! Yeah, they go back
0: and forth, which is a bold choice. This book is very chronological, so if you're <laughs> curious about what kind of historical fiction it is, it's kind of an epic, long sweep of history book that follows generations um, during the first during the Korean sorry Japanese occupation of Korea and then subsequent history after that. And yeah, that's what we'll be discussing, recommending today. Amanda, you chose this one. Um, Do you want to talk about why you chose it? Or should I plug first? Let me plug first. (laughs) We have, uh, yeah, let's plug. It's always important to promote here. (laughs) We do have Facebook and Instagram accounts at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word, so easy to search and find. Give us a follow on those platforms. We post updates and kind of what we're reading and reminders of the episodes that have been posted. So if you're curious about the reading schedule or you just want to keep up with us, that's where to do so. And any ratings you can leave us on podcast platforms help a ton, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, Google Play Store, whatever else. I think we're up on Amazon now. They have, like, an audio thing. <laughs> Who knows? We're everywhere, folks. <laughs> we're all over. So, anyway, we always appreciate those follows and um, and ratings and reviews. As I mentioned, Pachinko, the novel we'll be recommending by Min Jin Lee. Amanda, you chose it. Do you want to discuss why briefly?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to read it because my cousin recommended it to me. She said that it was um, a book that really stuck with her and it was something that she thought I would enjoy, um, specifically because of my interest in um, Korean literature and Korean American literature. So, yeah, I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to read it and I knew that there was some the the show, and I was like, you know what? I also kind of want to watch the show, so it's always a good idea to read before watching it. So
0: <laughs> I do think this show will be one that my mom and I do when I'm home for winter break coming up.
1: Yeah, I think she, I, I might do she, it on my vacation.
0: Yeah, I think we should. It might be interesting. Start doing TV shows on the pod, get into that, (laughs) walk into that fray. Um, That's that's a pretty rich, there's a lot of podcasts about TV, but that's okay. We'll do our own interpretation Uh, from the cover, which I'll read briefly and then we'll get into our segments here. Uh, But this is how the cover describes the book. History is seldom kind. In Min Jin Lee's best-selling magisterial epic, four generations of a poor, proud immigrant family fight to control their destinies, exiled from a homeland they never knew. Richly told and profoundly moving, Pachinko is a story of love, sacrifice, ambition, and loyalty. From the bustling street markets to the halls of Japan's finest universities to the Pachinko parlors of the criminal underworld, Lee's complex and passionate characters survive and thrive against the indifference arc, or, sorry, indifferent arc of history. Are you buying the quote about pachinko parlors of the criminal underworld? Give me a break. This book doesn't no. care about that. No, <laughs> it no. cares about pachinko a lot. It's in the title <laughs> for a reason. But come on. All right, whoever wrote that, let's let's read the novel first before we write the descriptions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, there's she specifically of... goes out of
1: her way to make sure that yeah, there is there's no connection. No criminal underworlds <laughs> ever
0: presented in this entire story. Okay, whatever. Um, a discussion for another time, maybe, and perhaps purposefully done. Let's do our segments here, Amanda. Um, segment one will be our rapid-fire recommendations. We always start with this segment. This is when we complete the prompt, You Should Read This Book If, in a back-and-forth manner. Uh, Amanda, why don't you start us off?
1: Sure, you should read this if you're interested in immigration stories.
0: Yeah, even though they never leave Japan once they go there, <laughs> but it's yeah. it 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 infuses everything every character's identity, every theme, every decision. It's it's like a huge part of the book. Um even though it's it's very much a story of J- living in Japan. Um Korea does what it, what is that? The first 100 pages maybe being yeah. in Korea. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely matters. It's a good one. You should read this book if you want a novel with generational sweep, a word we've settled on. It's a big history and big themes here. All all true, in the,
1: and I think that the themes are pretty important. But, yeah, it covers how many generations? Because it was even, it started with Sunja's grandparents. Right. So that's three, uh, four, five generations.
0: Yeah. Big, big history.
1: Um. You should read this book if you're curious about why there's some bad blood between Korea and Japan.
0: Oh, yeah. let me, I'll throw my next one on. Uh, you should read nice. this book if you want to learn more about the Japanese occupation of Korea. So, yeah, different ways of kind of saying that. But it's, I think, a decent primer on that history, especially for if you're coming in with 100% ignorance, if you're maybe an American reader who just, you know, you know about some of that history, but not very much. Um which I always I refrain from judging history is vast and there's a lot of continents so it's not like a judgment thing but mm. <laughs> I think it's a decent decent um introduction to that how did you feel it dealt with it
1: um i think that she was being very uh fair-handed with everything she wasn't uh villainizing either one mm-hmm. so yeah. it was it was very diplomatically done <laughs> there's some
0: bullying and discrimination in this book that you could copy paste onto a number of cultural conflicts and yeah. uh for let's say in the states for example so yeah um you should read this book if you want characters to be clear rational and respectable until they aren't <laughs> which sometimes that happens suddenly but yes if you if you like characters that have clarity of mind i think
1: yeah i like that um I, I loved her characters. Um, you, sh- you should read this book if you want to see some Korean and Japanese words and phrases in action.
0: Yeah, it's commendable, too. It's, it's well done. Very subtle. There aren't full-on sentences in f- other languages. It's a book in English, obviously. But it does feel appropriately kind of local or warm. It feels, yeah, it's like they use it in, it's famili- familiar, I guess is the right word. So mm-hmm. I like that. I think you should read this book if you are intrigued by sexual relationships and dynamics, but you don't want to read actual sex scenes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the actual sex scenes are actually more poetic in some ways. Um, I'm thinking Hansu and Sunja. But
0: yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. But, the, but it does determine there's a large number of relationships in this book that are heavily determined by that dynamic yes so for sure yeah it definitely yeah. matters but it's not it is not a romance book nor is it uh, certainly not is it erotic it's miles from that <laughs> but it's not even really a romance either, at all so
1: yeah um you should read this book if you like concise writing akin to folk stories
0: yeah, I do think it fits because of how ambitious this book wants to be and it kind of jumps plots and jumps around time periods and so it felt fitting to me the writing. It was my criticism always was that it was a little tidy at times maybe, but that's not the worst thing to criticize a book for it just felt very kind of confident in itself something like that mm-hmm. yeah my final one you should read this book if you've got yourself some sons you got oh, any sons yes. amanda <laughs> <laughs> nope
1: I, I got my two girls <laughs> yeah well
0: not a book for you then what a shame we chose we chose poorly
1: <laughs> next time yeah <laughs> uh, you should read this book if you love tough but still sweet grandma's
0: yeah i mean tough as tough as nails i think yes it is a because of the generational ambition it does have some older characters and some aging characters which i thought it did but pretty ably i think there's some some change and in interest in that um yeah I don't want to say more this isn't a spoiler cast so yeah I would agree that's I'll stop there (laughs) it's it's complicated anyway um, let's move on to our next segment Amanda so this is the pop culture touchstone segment this is when we're going to connect this work to something from pop culture or just uh, any cultural thing really piece of literature music TV movies Um, obviously the Apple TV show for this is obvious let's (laughs) we won't do that Um, that that's far too clear that's literally the same story what's your touchstone for this one
1: uh, mine is actually throwbacks to some of our podcasts what um,
0: yeah you went super niche on this one <laughs> a reference that I don't think any listener will know <laughs> well, sorry guys that's yes. it. yeah, okay um, you can go explain. back and
1: listen to our podcast yeah, um, yeah. I said that it was uh, it reminded me of Tracks by the book Tracks by Louise Erdrich um, but if it were written by Joan Didion instead and the reason I said that is feel felt thematically uh there were a lot of similarities between tracks and pachinko um as far as like cultural identity uh loss of of culture changing perspectives racism etc uh but the writing style is more like joan didion which is almost like the journalistic Approach where everything is written very concisely and it's very fair-minded, but you can still see some glimpses of, like, how the author feels by paying attention to certain subtle details. Mm. So that's why I chose those.
0: I like it. No, it's well explained. I don't... That book did have kind of a generational sweep, but it was... I don't know. I'd have to think more deeply about it. It felt way more narrow to me, Tracks. But I think that's because it's the same setting the whole time.
1: It is and I think too with tracks it, it was generational but it was only they only dealt with two generations really.
0: Yeah yeah and the, I think the lack of movement is why my brain is short-circuiting about that but yeah. <laughs> they just feel so deeply different to me but the, but yeah. I get the comparison for sure. So I'm gonna go with some obvious ones like roots Roots the TV show which I've only seen a couple episodes of in school. Do you know Roots?
1: Yeah, but I never watched it. Yeah, yeah. well, it's,
0: it's just like an epic historical show about slavery and the generations during pre, during, and after slavery. I, although I don't know if Roots goes to the after, but it's about people enslaved in West Africa who come who were brought forcibly to the United States enslaved, and their survival story and the history of that. But it, it's just big, big history. I think it's like a lot of characters. Um, again, we watched a couple episodes of it in high school, and I can't remember why. Well, the reason why is obvious: to study slavery. But it's I can't remember like what happened I just I just know it's a big history thing so maybe if you like roots mm-hmm. and isn't um Le Miserable this way a story that I definitely have never read and i have only seen clips from musicals <laughs> um I think so I've also never read yeah. Le Mis um... but it feels that way though where isn't isn't Le Miserable like doesn't it have like a ton of characters and like every dynamic is explored and there's people on every side of conflict and it's a revolution I, I guess yep. to me it was like stories like that where you take this huge historical traumatic moment it's not like you're picking a a down moment in history you're picking like the signature huge crisis point and then you're just exploring it from many facets this is Mm -hmm. kind of like that because you have the japanese occupation of korea and then from that it spawns you know all these different stories and tons of characters and i think those comparisons are probably best
1: yeah i think that yeah uh, from from the bits I've seen of, of Les Mis, yeah, it's it's definitely something that spans several characters on, on both sides of... Because it's supposed to be the French Revolution, right? It is, yeah. Um, yeah, so... it And it's those who are impoverished, but also those who are well off, and... Yeah, so that makes sense to me. The... I
0: think... I in terms of style, I don't know if either have any business. This is more content and broad yeah. outline approach. Yeah. So... Uh, good any other thoughts on the touchstones Nope. i really tried to come up with a book to compare it to and then i realized i don't read a lot of historical fiction (laughs) i which i would have said i did but i don't think i do now that i reflect back on it (laughs) i was even like looking at my bookshelves thinking yeah what is this like but i don't read a lot of books i read long works but they're not historical fiction like this so Mm -hmm. interesting um, let's do our scripted pitch. So for every book recommendation episode, we each prepare a piece of writing to kind of talk about what worked about the book or perhaps what didn't. But it's, you know, it's a recommendation, something we've pre-written, pre-scripted. I guess I'll go first. I feel like I usually try to. I won't put you on the spot here um, yeah. for my scripted pitch here for Pachinko. So let's take it away. Few things in Pachinko are small. The conflicts certainly aren't. We've got imperialism, um, immigrant dislocation, religious purity and tests of faith, sexual exploitations and connections and affairs and everything. So, and I'm even wonder if in that list I'm doing the major ones justice, so it's the, n- n- no small conflicts. Uh, the scope isn't small either. Uh, we stay primarily in Japan, though it begins in Korea for, you know, 100-ish pages. The generation-spanning story is comfortable taking massive steps in time to further character arcs and Develop certain themes and ideas. It will ask you to accept certain developments and simply move on. I think, in that final sense, perhaps it asks too much, or I felt like it risked a bit too much by not staying smaller because it does just want you to just move on to new time periods and new characters and new things when other ones are kind of abruptly dealt with. Um, but I think for lovers of kind of epic historical fiction, this book will read quite cleanly and I think enjoyably. And the prose kind of reads that way too, where it's not it's not going to disrupt you much, but it is well done and thought out and sort of careful is, is how I felt. Um, in terms of assessing and exploring challenging and even like often horrific historical events, I think Pachinko does this about as cleanly as possible, which is odd to say because some extremely traumatic things happen in the book. But it, it feels very down the middle. The metaphor I kept fumbling on our pods was it's like a fastball. Like it's it's just going ahead and like the characters kind of deal with things in that manner, too, sometimes very directly. And so I think I think the messes it creates, it may clean up um a little too tidally but that's the, but it's interesting in that way too uh hopefully that analogy made sense <laughs> i think that a few of its main characters cruise through things even as trauma and tragedy befall them Think of musatsu in that sense and time jumps account for that feeling i think too i think that's why i keep coming back to this is because the book time jumps and expects you to kind of pick up when the characters have had to move on from a trauma um, the themes are are interesting and coherent and i think even the few late story conflicts that felt abrupt to me do make interesting reading because it all has something to say. It all, and even if that's not clear, which I think you and I both like in fiction, we don't want to be told what to think. I do think this book, every new character, every new story, every new plot is adding layers to these identity issues and national conflicts and ideas of dislocation. Um, so I think the, it's kind of a risk, right? When you have this cast of characters and you have this daring narrative sprawl, I think it's going to reward people who see it through readers who stick with it and think about it um, I think I'll remember though this is a novel that I more admired than loved but that's not the worst reaction i I did enjoy reading it
1: yeah I think um, I think also I admired it for its um, the same reasons that you did which is it's a is a sweeping story about a lot of big idea themes, um, where each character and each conflict does relate back to the the major themes in the story, and I think she does a really good job of keeping that really tidy and and uh,
0: and clear throughout. So mm-hmm. yeah, a nice marriage between content and style in that way. Because I just can't imagine I don't know who's like a stylist we could think of quick like Edgar Allan Poe writing in this kind of scope. Or, I don't know, that's a random person to pluck. I was just trying to think of a writer who, like, (laughs) loves the mood and sense of, like, atmosphere of a scene, not of a hundred years of history. Yeah, it's like, they don't, it's, there's atmospheric writers. This is not that. It has a functionality to it that I think is, it's warm, though. Um, One of the reviewers we discussed praised its empathy, which I do think it kind of has. But yeah, so it's not cold, but it does. It moves briskly and it's interested in kind of big, big ideas. So, yeah, that's my long pitch. Um, How about for you?
1: Mine is. Uh, There are several reasons that Pachinko is both a popular book and TV series. The very human characters, the fraught filled setting, the momentum of the plot and the examination of faith, humanity and bigotry. For those unfamiliar with Korea's history, especially in relation to Koreans in Japan, this book will help you explore Korea's sometimes hostile relationship with Japan, though Min Jin Lee takes pains not to vilify Japan as a whole. As some of her characters point out, there are bad Japanese, but there are also good Japanese, just like there are both good and bad Koreans. Lee's purpose isn't to create an oppressor-oppressed dichotomy, but to explore how big events like colonization, war, ideological wars, and and so forth, affect generations. She does this without overt judgment and with a predilection for concision and differing points of view. She utilizes dialogue to examine abstract ideas like identity, language, ideologies, etc., without sounding like giant chunks of expositions or sermons. It's a wonderful novel about survival, family, and both personal and community identity. I think anyone can read this and find something to
0: relate to, even if you're not Korean. Yeah, I mean to the last point, especially it's it's dealing with it does the good thing and in that literature can strike upon universal ideas across cultures across time um across any any boundary and yeah there's no doubt this one does that it's extremely well drawn well realized and so yeah i do think too a couple characters get to preach (laughs) hansu and katsu do (laughs) but but i mean it also reads it's interesting though within the story and those are also moments and characters that i think i understood why they needed those those moments and why they needed to be able to exposit Is that a word exposit <laughs> like that. Um, do exposition in that way. So no, I, I do agree. It's yeah, no, that's well said it. it yeah. And anyone there, there's absolutely no cultural caveat to reading, to reading this one. It's been a huge international hit for, for pretty clear reasons, for sure. Good. Any other thoughts on that in the review? Okay, final segment then. We always speak around the book a lot, but we end with a quote for clarification just to give you a sense of the actual prose in the story and, like, what's going on with the writing. I'll do my quote first from pages 41 and 2. This is when a character, Sunja, who's kind of a teenager, is walking with Hansu, who's an older man that she's intrigued by. They have kind of a connection, but nothing's really happened between them. They just enjoy walking, talking together. So pretty early in the story. This is, again, from 41 and 2. They walked along the outer perimeter of the island where no one would see them together. The coastline seemed more glorious than it had ever been. As they approached the forest located on the opposite side of the island, the enormous pines, maples, and firs seemed to greet them, decked in golds and reds as if they were wearing their holiday clothes. Hansu told her about living in Osaka. The Japanese were not to be vilified, he said. At this moment in time, they were beating the Koreans, and of course, no one liked losing. He believed that if the Koreans could stop quarreling with each other, they could probably take over Japan and do much worse things to the Japanese instead. People are rotten everywhere you go. They're no good. You want to see a very bad man? Make an ordinary man successful beyond his imagination. Let's see how good he is when he can do whatever he wants. Sunja nodded as he spoke, trying to remember his every word, to hold on to his every image, and to grasp whatever he was trying to tell her. She treasured his stories like beach glass and rose-colored stones she used to collect as a girl. His words astonished her because he was taking her by the hand and showing her new, unforgettable things. So let's pause there. Uh, a couple things this quote represents, I think. The first is, it's not atmospheric, but it is paying attention. Like, the scenes, the descriptions of the forest and the holiday, that kind of warmth it has. There's a little personification greeting there. So it's not like it issues that stuff. It's just not... It doesn't want to immerse us in that way. It's. It feels like the settings and sort of the transitions from place to place. It functions to kind of set up characters, conflicts, theme dynamics. And so that, I think, is meaningful. It shows that. And then also... Not every character speaks in that way that he does in a very clear expository way. He he kind of does it more than most, I think. But the mm-hmm. characters often have to have these significant... I don't know, ideological check-ins with each other, these moments where they have to be very clear about, you know, beliefs of nationality. And obviously you can tell from that quote, he's a bit more pragmatic and uh, more direct and straightforward about how he sees nations in the world and everything. Um, So I thought it set up both their characters well, but also just the writing, the kind of ebb and flow and the amount of, I don't know, like historical atmosphere you can expect.
1: Yeah. And that's, um, that particular scene too is, um, she she's uh the writer is more uh figurative in that quote than she is throughout the rest of the novel really like there's Mm -hmm. she she tends to um write very simple sentences very straightforward sentences so that these pieces where she actually incorporates some some imagery it really pops for us Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah
0: and how about for your quote
1: For mine, it's on page three, which is actually the first page of the book, Um, and it's about Huni, who is uh, Sunja's dad. Okay. Huni was born with a cleft palate and a twisted foot. He was, however, endowed with hefty shoulders, a squat build, and a golden complexion. Even as a young man, he retained the mild, thoughtful temperament he'd had as a child. When Hooney covered his misshapen mouth with his hand something he did out of habit meeting strangers, he resembled his nice-looking father, both having the same large, smiling eyes. Inky eyebrows graced his broad forehead, perpetually tanned from outdoor work. Like his parents, Huni was not a nimble talker, and some made the mistake of thinking that because he could not speak quickly, there was something wrong with his mind. But that was not true. Um, and then it, and it goes on. So I chose that quote because it's an example that even minor characters like Huni, we only see him very briefly because he dies pretty young. Um, even Huni has quirks. He's got certain mannerisms, right? Like covering his mouth, um, certain mannerisms speaking slowly that, that lee puts into her characters each character is memorable because of a certain quirk or something about them that really stands out about them none of her characters are just flat characters that you're like oh i don't don't even know who this person is right so chang ho we know because he's he's really really nearsighted and he needs his glasses and at one point he loses his glasses can't see anything and then there's like Hansu, who's always dressed like impeccably, even around like the fishmongers and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And so each character has something that makes them stand out, and it just shows the, the thought that Lee puts into developing her characters, and just like how how tidy her writing is.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's very careful, and that in a positive way too the the kind of debates that we would have, we didn't really ever have it either with about Noah, but I think that we had t- a couple different readings or reactions to some of the development, but no character is flat. Even if some developments end up being kind of extreme or abrupt, was my, was my reading on a couple things, it's, it's always, it has dynamics to it, it's at least a bit complex, and you're right, it's a good quote to show that there's no character who's cast aside without some consideration. Uh, empathy is how another reviewer put it and i think that shows that too yeah even though hoony you know what is he in 10 pages yeah <laughs> um, I know, right? something like yeah, that not very is, long <laughs> you'll meet other characters like that too where they at least they get their backstory they get their due, quote unquote if that's a literary way we could put it um or non-literary way to put it excellent okay so hopefully that well that's our recommendation amanda any other thoughts on pachinko by minjin lee A pretty strong novel. I think I liked it and you really liked it or you you can put a verb to it. (laughs) Did you love it?
1: I, yeah, I did. In some ways I did. Yeah.
0: There we go. So I'll go with a a, a like. Amanda will go with a love. Very positive though. Strong. And you know, for a longer book, we usually don't do books that this one was almost 500 pages and for a longer book, I think it read, read pretty briskly and was enjoyable. So yeah, not, not a hefty 500 pages. (laughs) Um, we have other books coming up in order so if we fail to persuade you to read this one with us over the next two weeks then well we apologize we'll keep trying to pull books of interest Um, our next three books in order Amanda will tell you about briefly
1: Uh, next up we've got A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan then we've got Pandora's Jar Women in the Greek Myths by Natalie Haynes and then we have Civil Warland in Bad Decline by George Saunders
0: so novel nonfiction short stories we're doing it hitting the diversity spread of literature
1: (laughs) yeah bring it Um, on (laughs) yeah i'm actually excited
0: to get back to some nonfiction yeah this ratio we've struck kind of the three to one is is i think fits my reading tendencies pretty well maybe that maybe i've put that on us falsely but i think it's (laughs) about every three fiction books i read i kind of itch for some nonfiction too So that'll be great. Okay. Uh, If you could review us on any podcast platform of your choice, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, that helps a ton. We appreciate those reviews. And again, we're on Facebook and Instagram. We're there at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word. So follow us on those platforms to keep up with what we're reading. Thanks as always for listening to us. Again, we hope we gave you a book recommendation today. And if we didn't, check out other ones in the feed. Go back into the archives. We've got a million Book recs and discussions up. And if you're going to read Pachinko, we'll see you soon. For everybody else, we'll see you between the pages.